Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Those of you joining on us line, joining us online, it is great to have you with us as well. Um, most of you, uh, especially you dads, as you came in the uh, building this morning, I know you were welcomed to the Happy Father's Day, but let me say Happy Father's Day to all of our dads. And if you remember a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day, I had all the mothers stand up and I had everybody give the moms a hug. I wanted to make sure that every mom got a hug before they left the building. So we were thinking, what could we do on Father's Day? Well, we could have the fathers stand up and give them all a hug. But wouldn't you rather have a candy bar? Aloha Humphrey, our church secretary, said, you know what, we need to give out to fathers, we need to give out candy bars, and she found uh, uh, somewhere that said, uh, uh, happy Father's Day on a candy bar, um, ingredients, milk chocolate to reward and comm commemorate the years of unfailing love, encouragement, leadership, you're amazing, nutritional facts, serving size, one amazing dad, price, net worth, priceless. And then uh, Melissa Jordan spent a couple hours putting them all together for us. So if you're a dad, if you're a stepdad, if you're a stand-in dad, we want you to stand up. I've got a couple women that are going to, I think, uh, Cherry and Aloha's going to come help, and Martha and Renee. Stand up, and you're going to get a priceless uh, candy bar for Father's Day. We want to honor you and thank you. After you get your candy bar, you can sit back down. By the way, you can't eat your candy bar during my sermon. Because I will come down and get it. Yeah, it's calorie-free just for today. Just for today, no calories in it. So thank you to all of our fathers. We love you, we honor you, we appreciate you. I know this, after every service, somebody goes through the aisles and picks up all the leftover uh, communion cups that we forget to take out and throw away. If you leave your candy bar in the seat today, I will come by and get it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of that today. So, uh, yeah. thank you to all of our fathers. Speaking of fathers, little Johnny comes running in from school one day and says, Dad, I got 100 at school today. And his dad said, wow, come in here and tell me all about it. And he goes in and where his dad is, he says, well, I got 50 in math, I got 30 in science, I got 20 in spelling. There's a kid that has a future in politics, right? Yeah. But you know, none of us who are parents, none of us who are grandparents, none of us think of our children as average, do we? All of us parents, all of us grandparents, our kids, our grandparents, they're not average. They're beautiful. They're smart. They're athletic. They're, uh, you know, uh, they're just outstanding. They're, they're certainly not average. 
Everybody else's kids are average. But, you know, let's face it, ours are just better, right? We would never say that, but that's what we think. Our, our kids are better. They're not average. But the very definition of the word average tells us that most of our kids, the majority of our kids, are just that. They're average. So the truth is, your children are probably pretty average. Not mine, of course. But yours are probably pretty average when it comes to those measurables. You know, looks and smarts and abilities, those kind of things. But as adults, we don't like to think of ourselves as average either, do we? We like to think we're a little bit different, we're a little bit unique, we're a little bit special. Nobody wants to be average. And yet, there's something in all of us, and it manifests itself pretty early on in life, really, but there's something in all of us that longs to be like everybody else. There's something in us that we just want to be like everybody else. In fact, it's not that we settle for being like everybody else. We actually aim for being like everybody else. We want to act like everybody else. We want to do what everybody else is doing. We want to look like everybody else. We want to dress like everybody else. We want to go where everybody else goes. We long to be like everybody else. We are in this sermon series in the book of Judges. And what we have already seen and what we're going to see through the rest of this series is all the times that the Israelites seem to get themselves in trouble, all those times could have been avoided had they not had this burning desire to be like everybody else. They looked around at the people around them and they wanted to be like everybody else. So let me begin with a question for us to kind of get all moving in, in the same direction here. Do you really want to be like everybody else? And you need to ask yourself that question. Do you really want to be like everybody else? Do you want to be average? Was there ever a time in your life when you said, I'm going to shoot for everybody else? I just want to be average. Now think about it. Do you want a marriage like everybody else? Do you want a family like everybody else? Do you want to manage your money like everybody else? Do you want to manage your morality like everybody else? Has there ever been a time in your life you're writing down goals for your life? My goal is everybody else. My goal is just to be average. Probably not. And yet there's something in us that makes us look around and say, I kind of want to be like everybody else. Now, just to be sure that uh, we're on the same page here, let me say a word or two about everybody else. Because the everybody else that you see and the everybody else that we kind of hope that we are, are like, what we're really seeing, the image that they are promoting, is like a beer commercial, right? It's not real life. You know, in the world of everybody else, everybody's young. And everybody's happy. Everybody else is always happy. Everybody else is always nice looking. And their friends are always nice looking. They eat at really great restaurants. They go on these wonderful vacations. They have kids that are amazing. Their kids are smart and athletic. You know, it's just a series of Instagram posts. That's what we see. When we, when we look at everybody else, they have, they, have, they have great jobs, but they never seem to go to work. 
and they drive nice cars, and they live in nice houses, but they don't ever seem to have any money worries. You know, they don't have debt. They don't have uh, issues. Everybody else wants you to think that their life is a beer commercial, that their life is a series of Instagram posts. But the truth is, everybody else is worried. Everybody else is in debt. Everybody else has family issues that they've got to deal with. Everybody else has to go to a job that sometimes they really hate. Everybody else doesn't enjoy all the things they have because they're worried about all the things that they don't have. Everybody else who is single is a little bit worried that maybe they're going to stay single the rest of their lives. Everybody else who is married is worried that maybe their spouse isn't going to be faithful or their spouse is going to find out that they haven't been faithful. Everybody else who's a teenager, although they would never admit it, they're worried about what people at school think about them. Even though we tell our teenagers, you're not going to see these people three years from now. You know, you, you, they're going to be out of your life. Don't worry what they think of you. In the real world of everybody else, teenagers worry about that. In the world of everybody else, college kids worry about having to pay back this mountain of student loan debt. How are they going to do that in an economy that, that they can't control? You know, the truth is, intellectually we get this, but the truth is, everybody else is taking their cues from everybody else. And you don't need me to tell you that if you're continually taking your cue from everybody else, it's not going to be long before you look and you act just like everybody else. Now, again, the problem with taking our cues from everybody else, again, all we see is the highlight reel. That's all we see. We don't see their real life. All we see is the highlight wheel. Again, they're happy, they're, you know, they're, they're smiling, they got it all together. But we don't know their real life. We don't know they're in counseling. We don't know what their relationship is with their spouse or with their child. You don't hear the, the shouts and the fights that go on behind closed doors. You don't know that six months from now he's going to check himself into rehab because his life is like coming off the rails. All we see are the highlight reels. And so we take our cues from the highlight reels. And even on top of that, we don't know what they're thinking on the inside. We, we see what they project on the outside, but we have no idea what they're thinking. We have no idea how they're feeling. We don't know their memories, their scars, their guilt, their feelings. And I've talked to a lot of people, and I'm sure you have as well, and people who have told me in you know, so many words, had I known that living like this on the outside was going to make me feel like this on the inside, I would have made different decisions. Had I known that trying to keep up with everybody else on the outside was going to make me feel this way on the inside, I would have done things differently. Which brings us to the book of Judges, which brings us to a group of people, God's people, who look around and come to the conclusion, we want to be like everybody else. But of course, God has something very different in mind for his people. God doesn't want his people to be like everybody else. God created his people to be like nobody else. You remember the book of Judges begins with the death of Joshua, Joshua brings the people into the promised land, and then he dies. 
And the book of Judges covers that about 330 years between the death of Joshua and the coronation of King Saul. It was a time when Israel had no king. God was their king. So these judges are appointed to explain God's word, to, uh, to keep God's word. And for the most part, right off the, starting from right off the bat, it's a disaster. I mean, you read the book of Judges, it's really one disaster after another. There's a few peaks, but it's mostly valleys. You know, the Israelites get into this cycle that we've already talked about of their faithful to God, but then they see everybody else, and they want to be like everybody else, so they start following the nations around them, and, and they move away from God, and it turns terrible, and then they suffer for a while, and then finally they cry out to God, God, we have done the very thing that you told us not to do. Guess what? It didn't work out. Would you save us? Which is kind of an awkward prayer, Right? Would you forgive me for doing the very thing you told me not to do? You warned me about this. Turns out you're right. My life's a mess. Would you save me? And over and over and over again, God steps in and bails them out. God steps in and uh, delivers his people. Talked last week about the fact that, that even though that is the reality, we still have the dignity of choice. God allows us to choose who we're going to follow who we're going to be like. He also allows us to suffer the consequences of the choices that we make. I keep coming back to uh, the very last sentence in the book of Judges. Now, I'll keep coming back to it for the next couple of weeks as well. In those days, Israel had no king, so the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. There was no king, so the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And it was a disaster. They wanted to be like everybody else. And the everybody else that they copied kept turning around and controlling them. All of that could have been avoided. All of that could have been avoided in their lives. By the way, all the stuff that we're struggling with probably could be avoided in our lives as well. If they had just had some good advice... If someone had just stepped in and given them some really good advice. And the great thing is, they had some good advice. Somebody did step in and give them some really good advice that they either forgot about or ignored. I want to spend my time today actually not in the book of Judges. I know this is like the third sermon on the book of Judges, and I haven't talked about a judge yet. And I'm not going to today either. Stay with me next week, I promise we will. Next week, I'm actually going to talk about Samson, who did everything wrong. Amazing story. You think you know it, but there's more. But this morning, I actually want to spend my time listening to what Joshua told the people as he sends them into the the promised land. He gives them a warning because Joshua knew what was going to happen when God's people got into the promised land. He said, look, you're going to settle down, and there's going to be other people there. And you're going to start looking around at everybody else. And what you see is going to look appealing. And what you see is going to look like something that you might want to be. You're going to want to be like everybody else. But Joshua tells them, you can't be like everybody else because you're not everybody else. You are God's people. 
you belong to God. You were called to be like nobody else. So, here's the instruction that Joshua gives the people. Uh, again, the, the instruction that they sort of ignored, the instruction that sends them into this cyclical cycle of um, just away from God, close to God, away from God. And I hope as we talk about it, and I hope as you hear it and read it, it's not some historical text. I hope that it's something that you see the application for our lives today. Here's what Joshua says. It's Joshua chapter 23. If you are disloyal, he's talking to the children of Israel. If you are disloyal and join with the nations that are still left among you and intermarry with them. In other words, if you get there in the promised land and you look around at everybody else and you decide you want to be just like everybody else, if you join with the nations that are still left among you, verse 13, you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive these nations out as you advance. Rather, they will be as dangerous for you as a trap or a pit and as painful as a whip on your back or thorns in your eyes. And this will last until none of you are left in this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua says, you're going to get in the promised land and you're going to look around at everybody else. You cannot align yourself with everybody else. You cannot join them. You cannot integrate yourself with everybody else. You can't worship their gods. You're going to be exposed to other people with other gods. But don't you dare start taking your cues from everybody else. In fact, he tells them what's going to happen if they do. They will be as dangerous for you as a trap or a pit and as painful as a whip on your back and thorns in your eyes. Joshua says, what everybody else is doing, how everybody else is living, it's going to look very attractive. It's going to look very appealing. It's going to look relatively harmless. But he tells them, it's a trap. It's a pit. It is going to cost you. And he, 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 he tells them, tries to explain what it's going to cost you. It will be as painful to you as a whip on your back or thorns in your eyes. What looks so good on the front end, what looks so harmless, what makes so much sense on the front end, by the time you get to the back end, it's going to be like a whip on your back. It's going to be like thorns in your eyes. So Joshua tells the people, I don't want you looking around. I want you looking up. I don't want you to be like everybody else. I want you to look up to the Lord. I, I want you to be like nobody else. Because Joshua knew, Joshua understood, things that capture our attention affect our direction. It's just the reality of the way we live. Things that capture our attention are going to affect the way that we live our lives. It's really important to remember that. The things that we find appealing the things that we find attractive, we start leaning in that direction. And before long, we're not being influenced from the inside out, you know, from our heart and, and from our soul and from what we know. We're being manipulated. We're being directed from the outside in. What everybody else thinks, that's what's starting to steer the boat here. That's where our, that's where our lives start heading. Start doing everything like everybody else. And then look what he, he tells him at the end of verse 13. 
how long is this going to last? He tells the people, and this will last until none of you are left in this good land which the Lord your God has given you. That is a really important statement. That is really important. In fact, that's the statement that kind of made me say, okay, I want to preach this sermon instead of getting into the judges just yet. I want to start here. I want to lay this foundation. That statement, this will last until none of you are left in this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Because one problem the people of Israel had, and I think it's a problem that all of us on some level wrestle with, they had to decide, is God trying to withhold something good from me? Is God trying to keep good things from me? And people have this idea today that if they obey God's law, if we do what God says, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on some good things. And we're going to miss out on some exciting, fun things. God says, listen, I'm not trying to withhold anything good from you. I'm trying to give something good to you. If you're trying to decide just how invested you're going to be in this whole God thing, if you're here because, you know what, I'm here because my family wanted me to come, and, you know, I, I kind of come and I sit and I listen sometimes, but I'm not sure how invested I want to be. I'm not sure I'm really ready to re-engage. I'm not ready to re-engage with Jesus. I'm not really ready to re-engage with church. It's easier on the couch. I'll tune in and, you know, for a while. And, but I'm not sure I really want to, 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 to be a part of it all again. You're going to have to wrestle this question to the ground. Is God trying to keep something good from me? Or is God trying to give something good to me? You've got to answer that question. Do I believe that God is for me? Or I do believe on some level God is against me. God's trying to keep good things from me. Now, let me go back a little bit deeper into the Old Testament for just a second. If you go all the way back, back to Genesis, Garden of Eden, the very first temptation Satan gives man, the very first lie that Satan tells man is, oh, God told you not to eat from that tree, bad things would happen? No. Eat from that tree and good things will happen. God's not trying to give you something good. He's trying to keep good things from you. That was Satan's very first lie. He's still telling that same lie. Again, wherever you are in this God thing, wherever you are in the Jesus story, you're a follower, you're a believer, you're a doubter, I don't know. But you've got to decide for yourself, is God for me? Does God know what he's doing? Can I trust God? Or is God really trying to keep some good things from me? Am I going to miss out if I do what God tells me to do? And of course, the nation of Israel keeps coming down on the side of, you know, it looks like all these other people kind of, it's working for them. All these other nations, I like what I'm seeing. I like how they're living. I, I like how that's going. I I think I want to try that. And Joshua begs the people. 
Joshua pleads with the people, do not go there. Do not believe that lie. Do not believe that God wants something bad for you. He has put you in this good land. God wants you to stay in a good place. That's God's desire for us. And then he wraps up his speech to the people by this in Joshua 24. Now then, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Now, we don't have to worry about that because we don't have any foreign gods among us, right? Just all the things that we love and all the things that we own and all the things that we put in the place of God. All of the things that uh, kind of control our lives. All of the things that control our families. All of those things that have the potential to draw us away from God. Joshua doesn't say set it aside. He says throw it away. You throw it away. Get rid of it forever. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you. And then he makes a statement that I think is the most significant statement that he makes in his whole speech. Now, we usually like to quote uh, something he says a couple verses earlier. We ask, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've got a plaque saying that above my door. It's a great statement. I think the statement that he ends with is actually more significant. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. It's one of the very last things that Joshua says to the people. You yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And we are so quick to yield to everything else and everyone else. We are so quick to listen to every other voice. We're so quick to follow our own selfish desires. We're so quick to want to be like everybody else. Joshua said, you yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And I will tell you this from personal experience. I think about the biggest regrets that I have in life. I think about things that that I would love to be able to go back and undo or go back and do again. My greatest regrets, and I've got a lot of them, my greatest regrets in life would have all been avoided had I in that moment yielded my heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. So this morning, have you yielded your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel? Well, I became a Christian when I was a teenager. That is not what I'm asking. I'm asking right now, right here, in this moment, is your heart yielded? All the other voices, all the other noise, what everybody else is portraying, is your heart yielded to the Lord, the God of Israel? Listen, God is not trying to keep good things from you. He desperately wants to give good things to you. He has put you in a good place. He wants to keep you in a good place. He doesn't want you to be like everybody else. As a child of God, we are called to be, again, like nobody else. God wants something different from us. He's given something different to us. So, 
We've got to decide. Today, will I yield my heart to the Lord, the God of Israel? When I deal with my kids, when I'm at work, when I'm talking to my wife, when I'm setting goals, when, when I'm setting priorities, in that moment, will I yield my heart to the Lord, the God of Israel? That's the question you've got to answer for yourself. And if we can help you this morning, as a church family, if we can pray with you about anything, we're going to sing a song of encouragement, and we invite you to join us at the front of the auditorium here. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing.